Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. It says this, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her prom- his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Say thanks be to God. Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. Happy third week of Advent. Advent is a liturgical season where we count down the days until Christmas, when we will celebrate as the church around the world the birth of Christ. At TCC, we are still in Luke chapter 1, the third week in a row, and we will be in Luke 1 again next week. It is a very long chapter indeed, 80 verses long. And as we've been learning over these last couple weeks, Advent points us to some fundamental realities about the Christian faith. We are waiting with hopeful expectation for Christ's birth in our narrative of Scripture, but we also wait as Christians with hopeful expectation for Christ to return to the world, to make all things right. And while we're certainly hopeful, we're also waiting and waiting. But if we believe that God is with us, that He is Emmanuel, that, then we must also believe that he is at work, which means that we have much to continue to learn while we wait. What our passage wants to teach us today, among many things, is this. The kingdom of God is upside down. During Advent, we become acutely aware that the kingdom of God is upside down. Let's figure out what that means and why together. Before our roundtable discussion this past Monday that that we had as a church, I received a text from someone asking if we were taking a congregational vote that evening. I replied that no, we were not, and this individual texted me back, cool. I said that we would, at some point, though, hold a vote for TCC's annual yearbook. Categories like best dressed, best smile, most likely to succeed, Etc. For some reason, this person didn't make it to the meeting. Strange. 
But it got me thinking about the innate qualities that no matter how much we don't want to admit, or maybe we're willing to admit, that we as people look for in our leaders or in people and things that we value. We vote someone to be most likely to succeed often because they're charismatic, they're funny, they're successful, or they're smart. And when we move beyond the yearbook and into a national landscape, it's amazing how little actually changes. I did some research from the last several decades about the qualities that average American citizens have looked for in presidential candidates during presidential elections. Here's some of the top results. Ego, pioneering attitude, extrovert, educated, middle to upper middle class background, intense, competitive, inspiring, courageous, someone who emphasizes success. Particularly in the Western world, but definitely not limited to it, these qualities are viewed as necessities to be successful. You want to make something of your life? Do you want to accrue individual wealth? Do you want to have clout in your community? Do you want to be someone of importance? And you better be intense, you better be competitive, and you better be inspiring. Because otherwise, well, why even try? And none of this is new. Power has forever been defined between the haves and the have-nots. If you want to have power, if you want to have security, then, well, you better have some status. And if you want to have some status, then you better have some money. And if you want to have some money, you better have some land. And if you want to have some land, you better have some people who can work it. Throw a dart on the timeline of history and you'll find that the definition of success is the same in a 21st century yearbook as it was in the open forums of Hellenistic, of Hellenistic Greece. These qualities lead to success, success leads to security, security leads to a comfortable life, and a comfortable life leads, as we're told, to peace, serenity, and fulfillment. That's the human language. That's the kingdom that we understand. It's a kingdom that makes sense to us. But are all of these traits and markers of success valued within the kingdom of God? Our passage in this chapter of Luke 1 is picking up right where Pastor Shane left off last week, which built off of what we looked at the week before. The angel Gabriel has appeared to Zechariah to tell him that his wife would conceive of a son despite their old age, a miraculous birth would occur. And then the same angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, a virgin engaged to be married, and he tells her that she will conceive of a son by the grace of the Holy Spirit and he will be called the Son of the Most High. We learn that Elizabeth and Mary are relatives, cousins of some sort. And then the angel leaves. And we pick up in verse 39, and verses 39 to 45 say this. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, 
Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth and Mary connect, and the baby in the womb of Elizabeth, John the Baptist, it's that baby, leaps with joy. Aware the mother of Jesus, the mother of God, is near. And then Mary begins to sing, and everything that we know gets thrown into disarray. These are verses 46 to 55. This is Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be peaceful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Have you heard a bit of a theme here? Verse 48, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Verses 52 and 53, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God is mindful of the poor. He has interfered with the proud, the ego-driven, the arrogant. He has lifted up the humbled, and he has humbled those who are lifted up. He has provided for the hungry and made hungry those with provision. Where's the talk about earning success, about the qualities of power that we know and we understand? See, as Mary sings, she is describing and painting a portrait of the kingdom of God. And that portrait, well, it's consistent throughout the entirety of Scripture. The Tower of Babel was overthrown. Hannah prays in 1 Samuel 2, verses 4 to 8, The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Jesus himself will preach in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 3 and 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. See, our kingdom is not God's kingdom. That kingdom that God is establishing on earth takes everything that we value, everything we understand about success and power, the kingdom of man, the kingdom that we understand. He takes all of that and he throws it on its head. 
See, Advent points us to the true kingdom. The kingdom of God that shatters all of our preconceived notions of the world. The kingdom of God is upside down. And nothing points to this upside down kingdom more than the infinitely powerful becoming utterly powerless. The most high brought down to the lowest of lows. Power himself, born in a manger. Power himself, crucified on a cross. The proud scattered, the high jumbled, the humbled lifted high. The kingdom established by an infant and an act of submission, of surrender, an act we would consider as pure weakness, as the only thing to overpower once and for all the forces of sin and death. The kingdom of God is upside down. And as he establishes his kingdom, he strips us of what we know. He strips us of our comforts, of our values. He strips us of the qualities and traits that we admire, our understanding of success and power, so that we can grow in our dependence on him. During Advent, we worship and long for the birth of the Son of the Most High, whose kingdom will never end, and that King will be born into the most humble of circumstances, and He will be killed in the most humble of circumstances, naked, bloody, and mocked. And it is through that humility that God defines power. It is through that humility that God will bring about His kingdom. To close, I want to end with a passage, quote, from Tim Keller's book, Hidden Christmas. He explains this Advent gospel reality better than I ever could. He wrote this, In ancient times when the oldest son always got all the wealth, and the second or younger sons had no social status, how does God work? Through Abel, not Cain. Through Isaac, not Ishmael. Through Jacob, not Esau. Through Ephraim, not Manasseh. Through David, not his older brothers. At a time when women were valued for their beauty and fertility, God chooses old Sarah, not young Hagar. He chooses Leah, not Rachel. Unattractive Leah, whom Jacob doesn't love. He chooses Rebekah, who can't have children. Hannah, who can't have children. Samson's mother, who can't have children. Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, who can't have children children. Why? Over and over and over again, God says, I will choose Nazareth, not Jerusalem. I will choose the girl nobody wants. I will choose the boy everybody has forgotten. Why? Is it just that God likes underdogs? No. He is telling us something about salvation itself. Every other religion and moral philosophy tells you to summon up all of your strength and live as you ought. Therefore, they appeal to the strong, to the people who can pull it together, the people who can summon up the blood. Only Jesus says, I have come for the weak. I have come for those who admit they are weak. I will save them, not by what they do, but through what I do. Throughout Jesus' life, the apostles and the disciples keep saying to him, Jesus, when are you going to take power and save the world? Jesus keeps saying, 
You don't understand. I'm going to lose all my power and die to save the world. Friends, Advent points us to the reality that God is establishing His kingdom on earth. And Advent points us to the reality that that kingdom is upside down. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.